Hello everybody and welcome to the Mirror Football Podcast brought to you in association with Ladbrokes. Uh, we come to you this week on the back of one of the most intriguing weekends and weeks, if you like, in the Premier League so far this season. Uh, the Manchester derby got feisty afterwards. The title race might be over, but it does feel like we've got an old school, old fashioned Premier League rivalry once again, which is quite interesting. Uh, I'm Aaron Flanagan, back in the hot seat for this podcast this week, and we're joined well, by some of Mirror Football's finest. Uh, Matty Lawless is in here, the the editor. Uh, Alex Richards, Mark Jones is here, and we're also joined by Alex Apati from Ladbrooks. Uh, how are we all doing, guys? Everyone good? Good, thanks. Thank you. Yeah, Not thank bad, you. mate. Good stuff. Um, we will have to start with the Manchester derby last week because it was as eventful, I think, after, off the pitch as we hoped it would be. Um, the title race is over. Is the title race over, actually? Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Anyone, any, anyone back in United to get back into it? No. No, it's done. Um, I think City have got better week, week by week, haven't they? And um, that result on, on Sunday has... I know, I know everyone's talking about the thing that happened after the game, but I think we should look at what City did during the game because I thought they were brilliant. I think that's a deflection as well um, from probably Mourinho's side of things. Mm. You know, not a lot of people are talking about what happened yeah. in the game itself. It's all about what happened afterwards, and that yeah. kind of suits Mourinho perfectly. Yeah. Is, is it good that we've got this rivalry again now? Because it feels like City and United actually properly hate each other now. We saw before the game Mourinho and Pep look like best friends on the sidelines but is it good that we there's a bit of hatred a bit of rivalry there now they always look like best friends but there's definitely um, a dislike there you know they do that very much for the cameras there is very much a deep seated dislike between the two of them now you um, keep your friends close and your enemies close yeah exactly yeah. you keep saying it's a, a rivalry at the moment I don't think it is I think City are absolutely streets ahead of them yeah. as, do, as do, shown so, by that game so do you think United now technically I don't know if it dislikes word, but do you think United dislike City more than City dislike United, or is the noisy neighbour thing has he reversed? I think City fans are probably sitting at the top of the Premier League, looking down on United, big smile on their face, very happy, and almost goading their rivals to come on, keep up with us, boys, because yeah, they're would, that far ahead. I would agree with that. I would say that City are kind of looking at the the next step now, i.e., European-wise, um, dominating the uh, Champions League. Whereas United have still got a, a long way to go, but I mean, what what do you think they uh, United have to do in between, like to keep up with City now? They've spent just as much, haven't they? Yeah. Well, they have, but I still think it's important that they have some perspective. I know that there was videos that went viral after the game on Sunday. You know, we're not stoked with Man United, but let's think where Man United have come from in the last couple of years. You know, they were playing um, poor football under David Moyes. Didn't really recover under Van Gaal. Didn't finish in the Champions League. Mourinho, okay, his, his style of football isn't always the best, but he gets results he didn't quite get the result there but United have still got a long way to go and I still think there's more investment for that squad that's needed in comparison to what City have got you look at City's squad and they've got strength in numbers and um, United just haven't got that at the moment Has it been poor investment from United because I, I think City have spent slightly more but they've not spent considerably more I don't think I think actually you look to the starting 11s of both squads I think there was only about 20 million in it from the weekend have, have United actually spent poorly I think United went down that route of names didn't they the likes, you know, and even before now you look at the likes of Di Maria and Falcao and people like that they went down this route of let's get the names in whereas City I think looked at it a little differently in the sense if you look at someone like Leroy Sané for example who wouldn't have been considered a huge name at the time but he goes to City and proves how good he is and De Bruyne De Bruyne exactly, those sort of players who are going to get better as they get older they made a lot of quite young signings yeah whereas yeah. United perhaps signed players at the peak um, 
and it hasn't quite worked out as uh, they wanted to. I couldn't agree more with that, and I think that was the problem with United. They got a lot of dead wood at the time they needed to get rid of, and they still haven't quite done that, although we've seen uh, revival in certain players, actually Young being one of those. Um, but City spent for the future, and now they're starting to, to see the rewards of that. I think the big thing is that City have spent, and as you say, they've really strengthened the squad. But if you take out, you know, there was always that thing, if you take Vincent Company out of the defence, they'd have a big problem. That's not so true anymore. John Stone's not amended putting a good partnership together. Stone's has been out and Mangala looks like a defender again. Yeah. Um, you take players out of the City side, you take Aguero out, you take De Bruyne out, as good as they are, they have players that can fill in. You take Paul Pogba out of the Man United side, they look a little bit lost. He's he's a complete difference maker for them. He's got that confidence, that arrogance to get on the ball and make things happen. That was completely missing in that game last Sunday. Yeah, and if you're a team at the top, you can't rely on one man, can you? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, just on the whole fracas that happened afterwards, Milkgate as it's been branded or whatever name we want to give it. Calgate of his milk. Calgate, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Our, um, was City out of line celebrating? Because obviously, no. but, but no. both... No. Both managers Abs- have confirmed absolutely. that's what caused absolutely it. Absolutely not. Happens at every level of the game, yeah. down to Sunday League. Yeah. Teams have stereos in changing rooms, whatnot. They get a decent win, they're going to play the music, they're going to celebrate. Especially if you get one over your closest rivals, you've got to give them some money. Exactly. Look, look, let's look at what they've just done. They've just what, either matched or, or bettered a Premier League record. They've ended an unbeaten run at Old Trafford. What is it? For United, 40 games unbeaten at yeah, Old Trafford. Yeah. They've pulled three point, a further three points clear, 11 points clear at the top of the league. Are you honestly expecting them not to go in the, uh, like to go in the dressing room? Do you think they're going to go in and, and not celebrate that? So, do we pin the blame on Mourinho for it all? I actually think it's a bit embarrassing. I think it's embarrassing that Mourinho's did kicked Mourinho, off such an issue. Did Mourinho want it to kick off? Yeah, of course. Yeah. It's, it's a deflection tactic, but I think most people have actually seen through that. But yeah. for Mourinho to come out and be like the grand virtue of decorum, remember this is the guy that ran down the touchline when he was Porto manager to celebrate. Yeah. Ran on the pitch when he was inter manager at Barcelona to celebrate. Chelsea manager at Anfield. Exactly, yeah. you know, and it's just embarrassing from him. Yeah. Uh, Alex, you're with us from Ladbrokes. I assume the bookies are completely saying City have pretty much won the league at this point. Yeah, at the moment they're one to twenty-five to to win the Premier League. So, I mean, if you want to make a couple of quid before, <laughs> you know, like, if it was up to me, if it was up to me, I would I would be paying them out. Now. After the Man United game, I would have been paying them out, but um, this. A lot of people now are looking at, I think, United are 14s, 14 to 1. The best value for City, I mean, we were talking about it a, a moment ago, is going unbeaten this season at the moment, they're 9 to 2. I remember, I think about a month ago, they were 14 to 1. That dropped to 8 to 1 a couple of weeks back. And as soon as they beat United, our traders slashed their unbeaten odds going down to 9 to 2. Yeah. I, I think City are favourites for the Champions League now as well. Like they, yeah, they are for, just again, Europe's dominant team. Again, they're, they're favourites at the moment for the Champions League because they've been handed a, like a, a gifted like a nice last sixteen tie. Um, is it Real Madrid? PSG. Real Madrid have got PSG. Yeah. So obviously, mm. whoever comes out on top of that, you would expect to be reinstalled as probably favourites. Um, yeah. But City are right up there now. Man, no mistake. But out of 14s, are people still backing United? It is happening. I mean, let's. Uh, in the last week or so, probably not. I think before the Manchester derby, they were twelve to one, and there was a lot of interest in in Man United. Yeah. Obviously, in terms of the outright betting, we're not really getting a lot of people back in City now, just because there's no value in it. So behind City, the most popular team obviously would have been Man United. At fourteen, it's probably not now. It's a lot to do. I think you look, 
Chelsea around about forty to one at the moment. Uh, Arsenal one hundred and fifty to one. Has Liverpool. A, has a champion ever been forty to one at this? Actually, yeah, probably because Leicester. I bet were probably about forty to one <laughs> yeah, last yeah. season. So, all right, okay, it's probably my argument. The world. I mean, it's kind of weird though seeing a champion being so yeah so far off the pace, yeah, it's, it's, especially when it's a team like Chelsea. It's just because the pace is so quick. You know, I, I, I don't think you've been given enough credit for this. They've played seventeen games and won sixteen of them. That's, that's really it's not even yeah. it's not even the pace, is it? The pace of the league is pretty much. As it always has been. It's mm. just that one team is that much more dominant than the rest right now. Well, this is, I hate to just keep going back on to Guardiola, but this is where I don't think he gets enough credit. I think he's... The the thing with Guardiola before, certainly with Barcelona and Bayern Munich, was just that he is managing teams that like the best team in the world. Whereas I think if you look individually at the City side, I don't think individually they're the best players in the world. And mm. look at what he's doing at the moment. As we say, 16 wins in 17 games. It's, it's how he's going about doing it, which has really proven himself now. I, I saw an interesting stat... Um, from the point where Mourinho and Guardiola took over, obviously City and United, both teams finished on the same points the, the season previous. There's only about 20 goals in it, and why City finished above. And obviously, people think that Pep took over a, a better team as such than than United. So it's kind of interesting to see how the the two have kind of developed in comparison to each other. Um, looking ahead, Man City played Tottenham this weekend, probably the game of the weekend in the Premier League. Um, just quickly, do, do we think Spurs have got enough to maybe break that City winning run? Um, I think they'll give them a game. They'll definitely give them a game. Um, I don't think they'll win. I don't think they'll draw either. I think City will, City will probably um, keep on going. But no, Spurs will, you know, when we're looking, we're talking about the unbeaten run and it, if it is ever going to come to an end. Spurs will be one of the teams that you'd suggest could do it. Um, I, I just don't see it happening this weekend, though. Spurs will go there and fight fire with fire, I would think. Mm. They'll try and get the ball, get it down. Get the likes of Ericsson, Deli Ali, Sun's in brilliant form. That's their best chance, isn't it? Try and exactly. make it. Try and make it a game, almost like an end-to-end game, and just go for it. Because is that their best chance? Though? I think it is because I think I'd, I'd, I'd like to see more teams open up against City. Maybe maybe test their defence a little bit more than than, than size have done. Do you, do you think because um, of the success that the likes of West Ham and Southampton had? I know obviously they, they end up losing games, but they 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 pushed it quite close. With a defensive setup, more teams will be kind of buoyed to try. Teams with a bit more quality might try the same tactic. Yeah, and, and think they might get a break. Yeah, I mean, they lose anyway, though. That's the but saying that, though, in Spurs, don't forget they beat teams like Real Madrid, Borussia Dortmund. One thing that does interest me, though, is from a betting perspective, is that teams like Southampton and West Ham were about 20 or to 1 to yeah. beat City at the Etihad. So, yeah. you know. Will Tottenham be in a good side? Could that potentially be really good value for yeah, them? I mean, you would, as we as we've just said, you would expect if anyone is going to end this run, whether it's uh, the winless run, uh, the winning run, sorry, um, it, you would expect Tottenham to be one of those teams, and they're they're nine to two to win on on Saturday evening, which could be some value in that. I also like the look of the draw though. Myself around about thirteen to four. Um, I think you know the the league is already already decided, isn't it? Tottenham probably aiming for a top four finish but what Pochettino I think personally will try and do is just end this winless run now and at least have something to his name this season uh, whether they've got enough about them to go and, to go and win that game I, I don't think so I think whatever Tottenham have got City can match certainly with it being at the Etihad yeah. and I think Tottenham have got the ability to kind of just sit back and yeah. the hopeless gambler in me almost wants to stick a tenner on that on the draw <laughs> yeah, on, on the win <laughs> on the win um, just quickly around the room then just to round off City City against Spurs who's going to win have we all got City wins 
Alex? 2-1 City, yeah. 2-1. I'm going 9-2, to two, mate. I'm, I'm having that uh, bet so on, on top of it. We have a Spurs backer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going City win, but not, I'm not confident enough to stick that in my Acura 8-15, to 15, but I'd say City yeah. win. City? Yeah, City. Um, maybe like 3-2, something like that. Well, I think City will I think they'll smash them. I think it could be like 4-0, nil, nil. <laughs> <laughs> If yeah. they come out on attack, I think City will. Yeah, I, I think yeah. they'll just pick them off. Definitely. Um, but yeah. Anyway, uh, United, on the other hand, uh, obviously we spoke a lot about United there, they play West Brom. They're away to West Brom this weekend. Um, a bit of an interesting game for United because they struggled midweek against Bournemouth. They kind of almost laboured to a one 0 So just quickly, Lukaku finally got his goal. But there was no celebration. That was a, a bit of a weird one, wasn't it? Yeah, um, I think he's probably just someone who was more relieved more than anything else than, than scoring the goal. And um, I don't think you can read too much into it to be honest. I think he, you know, he, there was a mute celebration towards the end. He did raise his hand to the sky, and he did, you know, he was almost buried in his teammates when he scored. So um, obviously, there's a lot of uh, a lot of scrutiny on him. He he made those mistakes, which led to the City goals, which it's nothing to do with his goal scoring, really, is it? But um, yeah. you know, West Brom he's obviously played there before, so he's going to go back and and um, maybe have I don't know he, he seems to be constantly trying to prove himself, doesn't he? He's he's I think he's a great player. He's absolutely fantastic, but he. Whether it's a confidence thing, I don't know. I think, um, I think he needs to prove himself as well. Yeah, because he was he was very bullish about leaving Everton to join a bigger club, and he's got that move. And now he's had a lot of scrutiny, mm. fair bit of criticism recently with him not scoring. Um, a lot think, of criticism after the City game. Is that more down to him or the fact that he's not getting that many chances? Though? Um, I don't. He has had chances. Mm. I think he, they haven't been coming at a, a stream in games. He's been having. He had the one against City. He's had games where he's had one, maybe a half chance as well, um, but he hasn't taken them. Mm. Um, I think he puts a lot of pressure on himself. I always think this thing with him about the whole big games thing is really unfair because he used to play in Everton teams and West Brom teams who wouldn't leave their own half in big games. So I feel like that everyone's labouring these same sort of points against him. And um, but it's something that he's got to answer. It is, yeah. Um, whether that's playing on his mind, I guess it is. I've always, I've always thought myself with Lukaku, he. He needs a few chances to score one goal. So his records yeah. look very good, but if you give him one chance a game, I'm not that confident that he's going to score week in, week out, as he's shown in the last few weeks. But I also think, you know, fair play to him yesterday. One of the things that he's that he's had in, uh, this season at United is he's scoring goals in like nothing goals in the last few minutes in like a three nil, four nil win, that kind of thing. Yesterday he scored the winner. You know, it's a good, it's a good bounce back. You know, it, it, all right, it's only against Bournemouth. But that's the point. It's the teams he is scoring against, he's almost like a bit of a flat track bully. Mm-hmm. He's not scoring in the big games, whereas games like West Brom is a chance for him to stick a few on the on his tally. I mean, he's only I think he's four goals behind Mohamed Salah in a golden boot race. He scored nine this season, but of those nine goals, I mean, how many have come against big sides? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, from West Brom's perspective, they've obviously got a new manager in Alan Pardew. They've had two nil-nils in the last three games, so they're already kind of looking a little bit more solid. Uh, are they solid enough to stop United? Bit of a shock that that you'd say an Alan Pardew team is more solid yeah. than a Tony Pulis <laughs> one. Yeah, yeah. In, in, in a way, that wasn't a problem, was it? No, I think it's. I think a lot of it's effectively a happiness thing with those players. I think they had Tony Pulis' methods and his way of playing, you know, for two, three years. I think at the end it's just a bit draining that every time you go out on a Saturday. It's defence first. I think playing with a little bit more freedom. Obviously, they're defending and they defended for their lives at Anfield. But I think having that little bit extra freedom that Alan Pardew is attempting to bring possibly will add an extra extra dimension to their play and basically just players that 
have, haven't had the chance to go and express themselves, getting that opportunity now to do it that little bit more, at the most basic level, happiness of doing that. Yeah, it did give him a bit more personality. Mm, like, yeah. like uh, Pardew's nickname at West Ham was Chocolate because he'd eat himself. You know, that, that's why he, you know, he really fancied himself. But you know, one of his big philosophies is attacking football. And speaking, I think after the Liverpool game, you know, he was very pleased with how defensively um, West Brom performed, but attackingly he knows that they've got problems and they're not creating enough. They've not got the players, have they? Yeah, look, less, yeah. look, look at their attackers. They got people like Robson Carney, people like Jay Rodriguez. Rondon's not been as good this season, has he? So Rondon's a weird one. He's, he's, he'll get a hat trick and then yeah. he'll go on like a twenty-game run where he yeah, doesn't score. The whole with the Pulis thing, it was like towards the end they weren't even doing. The things that good Pulis teams do, whether even bad Pulis teams, they weren't even doing them. They 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 completely got lost. So I think any new manager coming into that situation was going to get some sort of impact. I think the importance for, for Pardew will be to find a balance, yeah. um, because he went in at Palace and they had a, a semi decent defensive record when he went in there, and he turned them into a very much an attacking side. And then when the results started to go against them, and they started shipping goals. He couldn't change it. They kept shipping goals. They were sinking to the bottom of the league. He left, and then Allardyce came in. Yeah, this, kept so them this up. is the thing. I think I think Pardew at West Brom needs needs time. If we talk about him being an attack-minded manager, he's not got an attack-minded yeah. squad there at all. He's inherited no. a squad from Tony Pulis. I actually went to watch his first game against uh, Crystal Palace. In hindsight, it was it it had nil nil written all over <laughs> it. As soon as nil nil last on match of the as day. Soon as it was, yeah. it was exactly that. But yeah, um, yeah I think. It could be a big transfer window for yeah. for West Brom yeah. in January. It'd be interesting to see who who he brings in and where he, yeah specifically where he targets. Yeah. Uh, the game itself, Alex, how, how do Ladbrokes have the game on the odds? Well, we make Manchester United the four to seven favourites for obvious reasons. West Brom are eleven to two, and the draw is priced to put eleven to four. I think it is round about the three to one mark at the moment. Um, Man United four to seven. I can't really see a way past them. I mean, this West Brom side. Still early days in Pardew's reign, but they they haven't scored under Pardew yet. Okay, they've kept two clean sheets, but it's a bit worrying if you're going into a game against Manchester United having not scored in three games. They're arguably one of the most frustrating sides to try and score against. So I quite like the look of United to win this one and to keep a clean sheet. That's round about the seven to five mark if you want a bit more value. Uh, We mentioned Pardew there, new manager come in, maybe not quite had the impact yet. Uh, but they are keeping clean sheets. Uh, West Ham have a new manager, uh, Matty. I'm looking at you because obviously we, we know you. We know you're a West Ham fan. Um, yes. David Moyes, the Messiah. And actually, I'm going to go back a few months on, on the podcast. You backed Moyes, and you said, "Fair play, give him a chance. Yeah. Let's give it time." And he's been given a chance. And what a week he's had. I think he's had. You know, barring the the Everton humiliation, Moyes has done a fantastic job so far at West Ham. I mean, to take four points off of Chelsea and Arsenal. In the space of two games, that's incredible. Um, I know that both games uh, were at home, but for West Ham, where they've come from, you know, they look so organised, so disciplined, relentless as well. A lot of character, a lot of spirit about that side, and he's got something out of Marko Nortovic, a player who, you know, we would have probably sold for about two pounds sixty uh, a month ago, but now he looks like he's worth uh, what we paid for him. It was interesting what Moyes said in the press, kind of within the week of taking over. Because a lot of his like introductory press conferences basically seem to be aimed at Arnautovic. There was a lot of talk yeah. from him about Arnautovic, but his react, which is, is a real good time. Yeah, and I think, um, as he said, it's been a bit of a combination of a bit of truth and honesty, because sometimes you need that, um, but also a bit of an arm around the shoulder. 
Um, as we know, modern footballers are not susceptible to the teacup throwing these days, and Moyes has had to embrace that approach at West Ham. And I think he's really sort of getting the best out of the squad. There's, a, there's certainly a lot more happiness in the camp, and that he's playing pe- players in the right position. But it's games like now where West Ham play Stoke away on Saturday, and then they play Newcastle the following week, and then Swansea. That's when we really see what West Ham are about. It's all well and good doing it against bigger sides when the the motivation is there, you could argue, but this is where West Ham's season will be decided. In a weird way, do you think because Moyes, kind of the expectations of him were so low, he almost couldn't fail? You can't, couldn't get any any worse than kind of the, no, the, low, yeah. the low expectations that were set of him? Possibly? The thing is, he's well-liked in football, Moyes. Um, I was speaking to John Cross earlier, and he was saying, you know, uh, a lot of the, the reporters on in the field really want him to do well and you don't often hear that about managers and I think the reason for that is that Moyes is, is a true football man and I think this is a real opportunity for him to reassert himself as as a good manager and he's had a couple of obviously bad experiences but he's, you don't I wouldn't call Sunderland bad. a bad experience I'd call it absolutely <laughs> horrendous <laughs> but, yeah. but you know he, there is a good manager in there you know Sir Alex Ferguson would not have drove round to his house and said here's the keys to the Man United office if he didn't think so. This is the thing, I think it's a bit harsh on Moyes. I know he's had a lot of stick and he's become like a social media joke the last couple of years. Some of the jobs that he's he's had, you look at the Man United one, that team he inherited after Ferguson, he was never going to, and he was never really trusted with much, as much money, anywhere near as much money as Van Gaal or Mourinho. And then the Sunderland job as well, maybe it was a bit crazy I don't, of him I don't to think take it's harsh at all. Personally, I, I so I I think that he took a Sunderland job that they 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 were tickling relegation for for years before it was just he was unfortunate. I think. And well, he might have thought position. at that time Sam Allardyce had done enough to sort of turn things around. Mm-hmm. There didn't quite realise, as you uh, said. Yeah. He, he, I think he just had a bit. The message. I think he's made some very poor choices. I think the Sausage Dad job was a bold step. I think that was a poor choice for him. I think the Sunderland job. He obviously thought that Allardyce, Allardyce had kept them up, basically on the back of his own personality and organising them. And I think he thought he could take them on. As you say, didn't fully realise the problems at that club, and got there and realised he'd walked onto a sinking ship and was rudderless. Had had no clue how to how to plug the gaps. the Man United job, you know, for, for all the faults of Sir Alex Ferguson and the squad he left behind, he left behind the champions of England, and a lot of those players are still there. You know, Phil Jones, Chris Smalling, right. still there. De Gea is still there. Young. Um, Ashley mm. Young, Valencia. Yeah. There were a lot of good players that he had there. Um, he just he failed miserably in the transfer market, you know, only, only getting Mauro and Fellaini mm. that first summer. When he was linked with the likes of Thiago, um, he wanted Luka Modric but couldn't get him. So how come he couldn't get the likes of Luka Modric then? Is it his? I think it was a mixture of that both Sir Alex Ferguson and David Gill had both gone, um, and you and you got job, you, yeah you got him and Woodward knew him the job, and I think it was just too much for the pair of them. Um, it, it, Woodward has had to learn on the job since. Um, yeah. And as Mark alluded to earlier, United, a lot of big names have joined. Um, I think that's very much their remit. Um, Sell so shirts. Exactly. And yeah, I think the thing with Moyes, as, as, as he has often done in many jobs, going back to Everton as well, he's, he's very good at 
almost dragging your expectations down and kind of making things a base level. And I think, to be fair, there are some West Ham players who will benefit from that. The likes of Arnautovic yeah. will just go, all right, I'm here now, I'm at this club, it's a good club, you know, it's it deserves to be mid-table in the Premier League, this is my level. I'm not going to play for... Well, where was Arnautovic just into before, wasn't he? And he was, he was higher up, but Jose Mourinho couldn't hand, couldn't handle him. Yeah, exactly. Sent him yeah, so he's, he's, he's had his time. He's had his time there. I think the, the trouble and the way West Ham started the season is there are a lot of players in that team who were almost like I'm the superstar. You know, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna be the one who, who does this, yeah, who yeah. does that. Moyes will get them uh, to, to to be in a team, but but Matty's right when he says Stoke away is is the type of game where he's gonna stand or fall. Yeah. So just um, from a betting perspective, what's interesting is before those last three games against Man City, Chelsea and Arsenal, David Moyes was a front-runner in the sack race He, after just a few games. And I fully expected myself, not him to be sacked, but I fully expected him to be bowled over in these, next three yeah. ga- in, in these last three games. So to come out of them so unlucky against Man City not to take anything... And then to beat Chelsea and, and keep Arsenal at bay. I think we're all we're all being yeah. very bright here, but I think there's a big emphasis now that we've seen three games where they've had to defend on the edge of their own 18-yard exactly. box, yeah. plan the, the counter. Yeah, the now way. he's got to put an emphasis on attacking, and we've got to see if they can do it. Um, but also, the Arsenal game um, Wednesday night, you know they had Vianovic offside goal, Hernandez hit the bar. Apart from that, the again they're playing on the counter. They didn't create too many chances. That Arsenal team were dire. Yeah. They were there to be got at. They were there to go at. And he didn't read the situation that they're there to be taken. Arsenal very tired. Um, this weekend, West Ham are away at Stoke. So Arnautovic going back to his old club will be interested to see how he does there. Stoke are actually a team that are in and around the relegation race or relegation battle. Uh, Alex, from a betting point of view, are these two teams that we you know, there's almost value in them to go down? I would say West Ham probably not at the moment. Um, they are amongst the favourites. They're three to one. West Ham are to to go down, but I think they maybe turned a corner at little uh, at the moment. Uh, Stoke, unless anything changes, I think there's some great value there. They're four to one to go down this season. I think there's a lot of teams down there that that it could be, and and they're very much one of them. I thought Newcastle as well. Uh, a team that I think they were five to one last week. Newcastle to go down. They've already been slashed to round about threes now. But but Stoke, as we said, Mark Hughes is now favourite in the sack race. So unless anything changes there, I could see Stoke being dragged right into. Well, it. I spoke about Hughes on here before, and I, I think Stoke really need a change. Um, I don't see where the progression is there, and they've made some decent signings this summer. Um, it says something when your club's own Twitter feed's having a go at you for the style of football you're playing yeah. and suggesting substitutions. Yeah. So, you know, they lost 1-0 to Burnley uh, in the week away, which isn't, you know, the worst result in the world. But Stoke, you know, this is a big game for them. They're only two points above the drop zone at the minute. And Hughes is he's clinging on. I think the only saving grace for him is that his chairman, Peter Coates, is very patient, as mm. he was with Pulis down the years. Yeah. He, he, he will only sack him if... It's his, basically he's got no other. Alternative. It's, 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 it's one of those situations where you look at their squad and you're not sure why they're down there because they've got some That's good it, players. Yeah. No, yeah, I, which suggests it's the managers. There's a lot of good players there, but how many of them do it consistently? Yeah. You know, Shakiri has a has a nine out of ten so game once every ten weeks. So that's where the manager needs to come in and bring them all together to. to Dig out performances. I which, think they're there for the taking this weekend. Stoke West Ham are twenty-three to ten to win at, um, 
Uh, yeah, I think I think Stoke are, are there for the taking this weekend, definitely. But as we say, it's hope just, you're right, mate. <laughs> <laughs> me too. But um, I, I just think as well for from a West Ham perspective, if these are the kind of games now that you've got the momentum, these are kind of fifty-fifty games. You you should be expecting your side to win. If they don't, all of a sudden that Chelsea game, that Chelsea win, and the Arsenal draw, exactly. Kind of counts yeah. for I nothing, mean, yeah. I'd love to walk into this one um, optimistically, but. I'm just thinking about the way I felt before the Everton game, and I thought, yeah, we've got a chance here, and we got battered. So, yeah, I'm I'm sort of on the edge on this one. I'm I'm sitting on a fence. Lovely. Uh, moving on to another fixture this weekend. Just very quickly, want to talk about Liverpool. They go away to Bournemouth um, this weekend. Klopp came under, uh, well, he's been under a lot of scrutiny this week, mainly from his team selection choice in the Merseyside derby, where he, he dropped or the Fab Five as they've, as they've been branded. Fab Five, Fab Four. Sorry. Um, I don't particularly like that name, but uh, the, why he dropped two of them in the derby, I think, is beyond any of us. But then he, put, <laughs> I, I, yeah, but then he puts them back in midweek, and they still draw a blank. Um, I think the issue is he's been well aware. I think Klopp, almost from before the start of the season, was talking about this period, this period which of manic games of, over over Christmas, and he he. he he spoke about it in, in a few interviews. He was always referencing this period, and I think he's had in mind that he's going to do a lot of rotation during this period. Liverpool come into this period off the back of some brilliant performances, beating Brighton five-one, Spartak Moscow seven-nil, um, they won three-nil away at Stoke. They've been playing some great football. Then he's got to do this rotation. He thinks anyway. I mean, I, I don't necessarily. Well, agree, he was but rotating he in that. those games. He as was, well. but I think it's come. It, again, like these these games are quite sort of close together, and he's almost the amount of rotation has kind of stopped the momentum a little bit. Are we maybe wrong to criticise though? Because last season, he didn't rotate his team. And actually, Liverpool burnt out last season. He didn't have the options last season. They burnt out and they suffered injuries. When he was at Dortmund in his last season, a lot of bad injuries. um, Because basically, Mm. he didn't rotate a lot. I think that's kind of still in his mind and playing on his mind. And I won't hammer him for rotating his side against Everton. They should have won that game. They had the chances. They missed the chances. You know, Sadio Mane rolls one across the box at the end of the first half um, he's got two men waiting for a tapping it's 2-0 Everton aren't coming back from that I think that. it was almost they, they found it weirdly easy just to play to play forward and Everton were just so passive and but, Liverpool but, got to this point where at the edge of the box they're like, right what do we do now and then suddenly there's a blue shirt and it's gone again but had he have had the Fab Four on and not two of them oh, of course yeah, they would have yeah. been so much more clinical you look yeah, at Mane's the guy rolling the ball across the box mm-hmm. and he's got Firmino and Salah waiting for a tapping if you're, if you're a Liverpool fan and you're looking at those three fixtures the, the Champions League win 7-0 the, the Everton game and the West Brom game why in the middle of those uh, why is the Everton game the one that you're taking two of your key no, I get the point and I'd also get the point that you know they're beating Sparta at Moscow 3-0 4-0 and after like 50 minutes yeah, he and he leaves there. Coutinho on for the full 90 he could have taken him off and got him a rest then because I think Coutinho did actually have a little injury going to the Everton game I think it wasn't it wasn't really spoken of that much he, he hadn't trained so um, I can see why he did that one but I think he's kind of he's gone a little bit too and he's gone a bit too much on it And but but despite all that still should have been I, I wouldn't hammer a manager for it because you don't know what goes on on the training ground yeah. every day you don't know what little niggles players have got you don't know what sort of fatigue is in, in in their muscles, what injuries they're close to picking up, how the um, physios and whatnot are assessing them. So he's got more knowledge than any of us about that. He is he isn't just doing it for the sake of it. And it's obviously for a plan as well, wouldn't he? He would. Yeah. He's obviously got a plan in mind with it. You know, as as you said, they were 
top of the table last January and then burnt out spectacularly in January and February. Do you think he's under pressure at all, Klopp? Do you think there's a point in this that, season where, no, he, at the end of this season, what what does he need? What does that Liverpool need to do for him to start coming under a bit of pressure? If, um, they, if they don't finish in Champions League places, then he'll come under pressure from above. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't. I don't think even the fans will particularly get on his back too much, even if they do just miss out on the top four. Um, Potentially. I, remember, he was flavour of the month eight days ago after thrashing Spartak. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. they scored yeah. fifteen goals in three games, two two um, draws, and suddenly it's oh Liverpool are in crisis. They're not in crisis. It's just two draws. The, the other point as well that I think is important to make about Coutinho is he might not even be at Liverpool next month, mm-hmm. and is perhaps trying things out without him I don't know it could be like Alex says it could have been a simple matter like a training ground uh, injury but let's be honest Barcelona are not going away anytime soon are I they? Would, and the January would, transfer window I'd be amazed if he I'll be amazed as well but it's still there isn't it um, there are plenty of other Premier League fixtures taking place this weekend uh, Leicester Crystal Palace uh, Brighton Burnley Chelsea Southampton Watford Huddersfield uh, Everton versus Swansea is the Monday night game one game I haven't mentioned there is Arsenal against Newcastle because I want to touch on Arsenal quickly I think most of us watched Arsenal against West Ham last night uh, I ended up turning it off after about an hour because I was bored it was boring it was yeah, it was a, an awful game of football no, I loved it mate it was great Yeah, <laughs> well, of course the West Ham fan did no, I just think uh, like with Arsenal it's so frustrating to watch I mean the same against Southampton they should have been 3 or 4 nil down after 7 minutes all over the back, all over the place at the back. Alex was right earlier. What he was saying, you know, West Ham should have had a go at them in a way. But look, as a West Ham fan, I'm happy that um, we got a result. But looking at Arsenal, they've got quality players there, players with pace, players who can frighten p- p- people. But they don't want to shoot. They want to roll the ball in the back of the net by running it in. It just, I just don't get it. But one thing, one real positive was Jack Wilshere. He put in a fantastic yeah. performance the other night, and I'm amazed that Wenger. Apparently not having him, and uh, it looks like you know his future's still in the air, up in the air, and he could actually leave in in January on loan. The contract offer's still not quite there, so he's he's Arsenal future's in, in limbo. But I think he was brilliant the other night, one of those sort of bright sparks. It's one of the problems with Arsenal the fact that they have so many of these players in transfer limbo discussions. Could be. There's a lot of talk about like a, lot, a lot of their squad. I think I think Ozil has surprisingly played very well lately. Yeah. Even in the defeat against Man United I thought he was head and shoulders their best player trying to make things happen. Um, yeah, last night, he, yeah. same thing. he seems to have really knuckled yeah. down Sanchez at the moment the Sanchez however is it's, it's amazing how footballers can knuckle down aren't they when there's an offer of a £300,000 contract <laughs> £300,000 a week I'd, contract on the table potentially the if they do well I'd, I'd probably do that yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd work hard I think the, the worrying thing for Arsenal at the moment is I think the rest of the top six you can kind of guess who's going to be starting week in week out and I don't think that's a, that's the case at the minute for Arsenal I it's so it's so frustrating at, at the moment, and as you say, it seems it seems like they're the only club in the in, in the league who have seem to constantly be six months left on someone's contract yeah. somewhere, yeah. and it, it just think, disrupts. I think the there's too many players in that side who who have stalled basically, mm-hmm. who aren't yeah. aren't improved. Hector Bellerin, when he first broke in, was oh my god, he's out, outstanding. He's going to be Spain's right back for the future. He's brilliant. You don't hear much of that anymore. He's, he's really stalled. Xhaka three, has the, gone backwards. I like that young lad last night, left back Maitland Niles. He, he, he was good. He was yeah, impressive. Yeah. But we didn't really see whether he can handle it defensively. He's good going forward. Yeah. He's, yeah. I think he's a midfielder by trade. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Just, In terms of uh, almost, al- almost literally stalling, I've been looking this morning at uh, Sanchez, and he's 
his sort of distance covered stats are well down on what he was doing before. And yeah. you, you're almost looking. I know he's playing a slightly different position, but you're almost kind of like you can, you can literally see this idea that he's not trying as much as he was before. He's not the sort of go-to all-action man who really drives Arsenal think, forward. Think how gutted he is that he didn't get his move to Manchester yeah. City in August. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's yeah. as much as you say it won't, that's got away in his mind, I could be there right now. Of course. The, th- the thing is, and you see this, these kind of stats a lot of the minute, the um, misplaced passes that Sanchez is mm. making this season, the possession um, giveaways. I remember earlier last uh, earlier this year actually so um, second half of last season I remember watching Arsenal just a few weeks in a row and I mean he was their main man and he was scoring a lot of goals but at the same time he was he was giving the ball away so much that's not a new thing I think from, I think the thing with that is that there has, you, each team has to have a player that tries that little bit that has that little yeah, bit of creativity yeah. and you give a little bit of leeway that yeah. oh he might he's going to try this so he might lose it but he's losing it at such a rate yeah. at the moment I mean, and you look at Ozil for example now I probably count on my hand the amount of times you've given the ball away in the last few weeks he's he's he might not put a lot of he might not be seen to put a lot of effort in like Sanchez does but in terms of he also surprisingly covers a lot of Mm, uh, kilometers every game yeah look at this today yeah um I just wonder if there's a just a human element with the two of them and you're just seeing two people who are not going to be there next summer let's be honest I think there's more chance Ozil will because I simply don't see the great level of interest in mm. him that you see in Sanchez. Yeah. Um, but it's he, how they how they react yeah. to that, isn't it, and how they yeah. kind of the, approach it. The worrying thing for Arsenal, just to kind of summarise on this, is, is that I, I feel like they kept hold of Ozil and Sanchez for this year with the assumption that, OK, they could both leave on a free, but we got a much better chance of finishing yeah. in the top four this season. They're seventh in the league at the moment. I know it's still really close, but yeah. it's not as easy as they perhaps thought it was going to be. And they could find themselves at the end of the season selling, well, handing Sanchez and Ozil over outside of the top. Yeah. I think the uncertainty is such an issue, though, because we spoke about Wilshire as well. Giroud is another player mm-hmm. who wants to leave. Yeah. So there's so many players there. You'd imagine Phil Walcott's probably another one. He wasn't even anywhere to be seen. Yeah. So um, Olivier Giroud, I say, another yeah. one we, we, we talk about. Um, he got his first Premier League start of the season. It's incredible that it's taken so long for him to get a start in the Premier League. Yeah. He got it last night and he, he didn't impress against West Ham. Well, you spend 60, however many million on Alexander Lacazette. He's got to start every yeah. week, pretty much. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. With someone like Giroud, though, like Solskjaer at Man United, he sort of thrived on that impact sub role. And Giroud's like the all time leading substitute scorer in Premier League history. You know, if you're going to score, it doesn't matter when it is, does it? And how you do it. I think yeah. maybe Wenger got that one wrong and he should have brought him on as an impact sub. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think a lot of the Giroud situation though is because of the World Cup. Yeah, he wants to be playing. Yeah. Yeah. Same as the Daniel Storage thing at Liverpool. Yeah, he yeah. Want, he wants to probably leave as a result to getting the World Cup squad. It's noticeable with Giroud that he was very much France's focal point with Griezmann. Um, he plays well with him, doesn't he? Lacazette yeah. was hardly getting called up because he was playing in in Ligue 1 with Lyon. And as soon as Lacazette moves, Didier Deschamps starts calling him up simply because he's playing at a best, better standard in a better league. Yeah. And so he gets called up and he starts playing. Yeah. So that's got to be a, an element in Giroud's mind. Um, uh, from a betting perspective, Ladbrokes uh, are sponsoring all the Mirror Football's coverage of um, kind of the, the transfer window coming up in January. The window opens in about two weeks' time. I think it's about two weeks now, isn't yeah, it? It opens in about two weeks' time. Um, from a, say from a betting perspective, Olivier Giroud, where, where, where do the bookmakers think that he, he could end up? So I mean, myself as, a, as an Arsenal fan, I hope he stays. I hope he stays, and and he should really be getting his place on the uh, 
on France's plane to Russia, even if he's a super sub for Arsenal this season. But Bucky's uh, we price Everton up as your two to one favourites to sign Olivier Giroud, and it does kind of make sense that when you look at the amount of players that Everton did sign in the summer, did they go and get a? Well, they wanted him, but his wife didn't want to move there. <laughs> yeah, mm. yeah. But what would I say compromise now half a year for the World Cup mm-hmm. space, maybe on loan. Yeah, that's a great compromise with the with the wife, isn't it? That I'll do six months at Arsenal and then six months at Everton. <laughs> if she likes like the shops in London, the West Ham on loan yeah. might be a bit well, more this is the I can, I can show the shops in Liverpool are just as good. They're brilliant. She can go down Liverpool. I'm not sure Olivier's wife is going to be very keen on him moving away and staying in hotels. I'm curious to see what you think of this, Matty, because we make West Ham second favourites at three to one to sign Giroud. I think it would have to be alleged the right deal. Um, I think West Ham's priorities are a midfielder. <laughs> Alex, you're very cheeky. <laughs> Alex Richards, that is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think look, Giroud would be a good signing. But actually, at the moment, West Ham have got um, quite a lot of attacking options. I think of the two that need them at the head of the market, Everton and West Ham, it would be a good move for Everton. Yeah. I, I'd be sad to see Giroud go myself. But you, again, you, it comes to Arsenal and the amount of players that we've got linked moving away from Arsenal and a lot for World Cup places Welbeck was linked with Everton in the summer as well he was, yeah. he's a good player and he's a goal scorer and I'd, it would be a silly move for Arsenal to let him go definitely yeah. 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 I'd, um, I'd, would, you let, would you let Welbeck go or Giroud if you, if you had one choice I would Welbeck. let Welbeck go yeah. all day long keep hold of Giroud yeah. Yeah. Um, we mentioned Alexis Sanchez uh, a little early he's another Arsenal player who is probably going to he's going to have a summer off I can't remember the last time he had a summer off Chile uh, haven't 20, made the World Cup. 2013. 2013. I mean, it's a well-deserved summer off. What do you reckon? What do you reckon? What do you reckon? Well, I mean, per, dogs. Per, yeah. personally, <laughs> I think he'll be, uh, you know, packing his house and heading yeah, up north to Manchester. Yeah. Um, I, I believe the bookies also believe Man City yeah, is on Yeah, I mean, that's that's frightening for at the moment. Anyone else in the Premier League, including Arsenal, is that Man City are even money favourites to sign Alexis Sanchez, and Alexis Sanchez with a summer off is is a worrying thought for every other team in the Premier League I think um, Bayern Munich are 7-1 to one shots but other than that as, at, at the moment it's it's looking like City or he'll stay at Arsenal which, which doesn't look likely at all Yeah um, Alex I'll come to you with this one Alexis Sanchez does he fit into City's team? I think he if you'd have asked me in August then the answer would have been certainly yes but given how Leroy Sane and Raheem Sterling have both been playing and are both developing then perhaps not. Um, we've also got Bernardo Silva still fighting for a place. I suppose if he if he did join, then they would have those those three and Sanchez all vying for two spots basically, yeah. um, out wide of a striker with David Silva and Kevin De Bruyne in midfield pulling the strings. Like football manager team. <laughs> it's just not fair, is it? Really, like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because you, let's not forget as well. It's getting to a point, and certainly if if Sanchez signs as well, and how much Guardiola does like to sort of introduce younger players into the setup. It's not even a case of who makes the first eleven, but there's going to be some big names that are missing out on the on the bench as well at the moment for City. Yeah. You know, I think Sanchez. He, again, you're completely right, Alex. If if you'd have asked a few months ago, I think he goes, he fits in that City team and he starts. Whereas there's, there's a case to be made that he he doesn't even get into City's first eleven at the moment. In which case, is he going to leave Arsenal to go and sit on City's bench? I'd, I'd think kind of I'd think if if he went there, then when they're playing the big Champions League games and and the, you know they're playing Man United at home or Man United away mm-hmm. I'd think he'd start um, but he's not a player that particularly likes being rotated in and out no exactly mm-hmm. so. doesn't like being brought off 
anything. So I think unless there's a guarantee there that he's going to be playing somewhere. I'd it was always an odd one in the summer, though, wasn't it, in terms of finding a club? I know City were, were at the head of it, but you, when you thought about him going to other clubs, because of his age and because the fact that he doesn't want to be rotated, you're like, well, he could go there, but they've got this player and that player. He could go there, they've got this player. And I think he's probably going to have to accept that he might not be the main man somewhere. Um, he's far more attractive on a free transfer, though, than yes, paying 60-odd yeah. million for him. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, I say we'll be talking loads and loads about transfers in the, the coming weeks on this podcast um, just because it's January and everybody loves a, a, a transfer story uh, one we will touch on before we go today uh, Real Madrid are after a new keeper they've been after a new keeper for about 25 years now or <laughs> if that's what it feels like anyway it seems like they're making moves for someone might have to adjust my no, I'm waiting for you I'm waiting for you Kepa Ariza Balaga maybe something like that close is that enough. close, close about, right? okay yeah. well, should we keep... call him Keeper yeah. Yeah, Keeper I, I, Keeper, I Keeper got the... yeah. it looks like Kepa uh, Kepa Kepa yeah, we'll stick to Kepa we can do that one um, it looks like he is possibly on his way to Real Madrid but they've also been linked with likes of Courtois De Gea and Hugo Lloris uh, in recent times um, is that the right option for Real Madrid to, to go for them or can the Premier League teams rest easy now I think perhaps they can rest easy now I think the big thing for Real Madrid has always been like it is for Bayern Munich in Germany that their number one keeper is Spain's number one keeper you know they had it for years with Ica Casillas um, they're not going to get David De Gea it seems it seems they've given up on that you know two years ago they came within a fax machine of, of getting him um, since then He's got a new contract at United and he's playing better than ever. And fax machines are out. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> that, 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 um, the fax machines in the Man United Museum now. <laughs> <laughs> so it, 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 it looks like they're moving for him. He's a good keeper. I don't really understand the whole Kaelin Navas thing. He's won back-to-back Champions Leagues. Zinedine Zidane has always been very defensive over him. Seems like it's something that's coming from above. He Florentino his Perez. As well, yeah. I'm not sure. Give him a yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it does feel like if they're looking for another goalkeeper. I mean, the the Madrid way, just in transfers, really is the the best of the of the best, the big names. This Kepper, is he gonna come in? I mean, if he is he one for the future more so? Can you? I think he's twenty two, but he's already got a full Spain cap. I just I don't I think there are a lot of other options out there. I think. Um, I mean, he's gone quiet now, but is it Gianluigi Donnarumma? He's yeah, like yeah. a big name, uh, Italian goalkeeper. Would it, it sounds like the, yeah. the kind of move that Madrid? Might it very much depends on. He's currently in the middle of his own issues with Milan fans. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. He's been tears every week, didn't he? Was it last yeah. night in yeah. tears? Uh, Copper Italia tie against Verona. Well, I, think, I think his agent is Mina Raiola, who represents yeah. him, made a few interesting yeah. remarks, <laughs> okay. basically saying he, how... He wanted to leave he in almost the summer. Can, I read somewhere, I think they want to nullify his contract because yeah. they feel like he was forced he, into he it. Want, he wanted to leave in the just, summer. Um, it, it then spun round that he then decided to stay and he signed a new deal. His brother was also handed a contract at Milan, conveniently. Um, and now Mina Raiola is saying that basically he was pressured into it. That he wasn't in the room when he signed. That it should. That he's got his lawyers looking into it, and it should be null and void. He should go back to his old contract, which meant he was out of contract next summer, and basically means he can talk to people about a free transfer as of January first. Mm-hmm. Um, Alex, who, who does Ladbrook see as Real Madrid's next goalkeeper? I mean, signing? so we make we make Kepa the four to six favourite because it, it it is looking likely that he uh, like a deal might might be made. But I mean, looking behind him in the market, you've got Courtois. 
is your second favourite at six to four. I think there was talk earlier last week about him saying at some point uh, he would like to go back in, uh, and, pl- and play in Spain. Whether that is in the near future or not, we say six to four is uh, six to four. He signs for uh, Real Madrid before the end of next summer's transfer window. I also like the look of Lloris though as well. I think he's eleven to four, just behind David de Gea, who is five to two. But Lloris, I think. As is the case with a few Tottenham players at the moment, a, a key key player and arguably one of the best in in his position in the in in the Premier League, just behind De Gea. If Tottenham don't win anything this season, if Tottenham finish outside of the top four this season, how how long can Spurs keep hold of these players? You know, Lloris is a very good goalkeeper. There could be some value. Uh, there, there could be some value in the eleven to four for Madrid making a move for him. Absolutely, and that will do us this week on the Mirror Football Podcast. A big thank you to you guys in here for coming in in, in our studio. It's not really a studio, is it? So I, I described it to you, Alex. It's more like a cupboard with soundproof walls. But a uh, big thank you for cramming in here and talking around the microphone with me, uh, especially to you, Alex, coming from uh, the Mirror Football's transfer window sponsors, Ladbrooks. Uh, if you've listened this far, congratulations, thank you, <laughs> appreciate that, uh, but we'd absolutely love it if you could leave us a five-star review uh, and, a, and a comment or two, um, let us know what you want to see, uh, we're, all, we're all ears, if you want to ha- have us discuss something, we can put it in next week's podcast. We'll be next w- back next week, uh, so be sure to check up on iTunes, Spotify, Audio Boom, and the Mirror Football social media channels uh, to pick up on that episode. Uh, but until then, uh, enjoy the weekend's football, and we will see you next time.